Hi, this is Jill Shaw, and I'm here with Ross Wilson. And we're here to introduce a special series of Last Night at School Committee, focused on the search for a new superintendent of the Boston Public Schools. It's seven episodes, including a compilation of views that we heard from 14 important community leaders in Boston. And individual interviews with the past six superintendents of Boston, including Tommy Chang and Brenda Casilius. The question is, Ross, who will be successful in the role? Yes, and what can Bostonians do to make the next superintendent's term impactful and successful? What follows are the voices of 14 Boston leaders, teachers, principals, education advocates, nonprofit leaders, union leaders, political leaders, former school committee members, and others, offering their perspectives on the role of the superintendent, key priorities for Boston public schools, and how the community can come together to support our school district and its new leader. To learn more about the participants and see a video version of the episode highlighting each speaker, visit bostonsuperintendent.com. Now, it's my pleasure to present their words in this special edition of Last Night at School Committee. There's so much to do, right? And it's a big job. Making good schools is not easy work. It's not an easy job. It is an extremely complicated job. To me, it appears to be an impossible job. It is a tall, tall order, I know. Being a superintendent is so, so, so tough. The new superintendent has a job ahead. (laughs) It's not going to be easy. I mean, listen, public education started in Boston. I mean, that in and of itself should be a point of attraction for somebody wanting to come here and be a part of this particular school system. I would think it's got to be one of the most attractive jobs in America. And the thing that makes it scary is the fact there's been so much turnover. I mean, any candidate's going to have to ask him or herself, why has there been so much turnover? I think the priority should be to bring trust. Someone who has deep community trust on the school level. Because families and students, they lost the trust in the school system. If you look from last year, over a thousand families left the district. And I'm worried to find out how many people is going to left this district now. I think it starts off with just talking to families. Like, why are they moving into the charter school world? Like, why are they going to Metco? Like, what can we do to bring them back? I'm concerned that our city is becoming a place where Middle-class people can't make a way, and I think that's contributing to enrollment decline. So I I do think the school department's going to have to grapple with the housing crisis. The question less so about the district is less about how do they stem that decline. It's more so how do they address their programs and their budgets to reflect the reality of the enrollment. Obviously, they need to have a clear vision a bold, brave, and curious vision. And I think that means perhaps not getting bogged down in the quagmire of just thinking about the exam schools. We need a superintendent who's a systems thinker, someone who can scale best practices and research across the entire district and not react. Often what Boston Public Schools does is reacts to problems instead of responding to the needs of students. And so you don't need vision people for that. You need you need doers. You need people who can understand what that original vision is and actually execute on it. 
we can't lose sight of the fact that this is a one and a half billion dollar institution with thousands of employees. We need someone who can lead and operationalize systems so that it can be a high performing organization. BPS is extremely well funded. Just a decade ago, I think the city was spending something like $800 million a year. And next year's proposed budget is in the neighborhood of $1.3 billion. And this trend continues even with a pretty significant drop off in enrollment recently. And BPS consistently ranks at or near the top in per pupil spending for similar districts. I think it's how that money gets spent that's the issue. And at this pivotal moment, the district clearly needs flexibility to determine how that funding spent and not be weighed down by previous commitments. And with all the talk about state involvement, I think while operational responsibility likely wouldn't make sense, that is an area in which you have to wonder whether they could be helpful as well. So from the superintendent perspective, the instrumentalities of the job have to be restored and cared for because otherwise you're just governing by press release, even by policy. You know, it's like, here's a great writing. Here's a great piece of paper that talks about all our values and, and we negotiated it and it reflects the community and all the different interest groups. But what does it mean if it can't be implemented? So for a long time, I think the city and most people outside of Boston Public School have focused so much on policy, but I feel like we do have good policies in place now, but somehow has never been able to implement those good policies to get the best result. There aren't systems in place for understanding how things will be prioritized, how operations will happen, and how the relationships with schools will work. And so as a consequence, I think there are a lot of people in the Boston public schools who think the central office can't tell schools what to do. And I think there are schools that think the central office doesn't tell them anything, but pitches a lot of different things. And so I think schools end up hearing a lot of mixed messages from the central office. And I think that there have been efforts to streamline that and to really orient these, frankly, wonderful mission-driven people who work in the central office to supporting schools. But I, I think there just isn't a lot of clarity about what gets decided where. They need to be an instructional leader. They need to be able to communicate effectively. They need to be able to manage a district. And last but not least, I think they also need to be a good listener. Knowing they have a partner, someone who's a good listener, that they are able to hear feedback, to take it without taking offense, to change course as needed, and to sort of allow themselves to grow because our world and our school system is changing so quickly, people need to be able to make that leap. The person needs to have like excellent communication skills. It's not going to be enough to just be an articulate storyteller or communicator. The person's got to be motivating. 
I believe that all school leaders have been working so hard, along with our staffs and our teachers, to come through what is the most trying period of our professional lives. And what we need is folks to support us and to listen and to work in partnership around things. That someone listens to deeply and respects and, and takes into consideration the views of students, of families, and of educators including principals and teachers in the conversation, they know better than we do. You know, like, sit down with us, tell us, like, how could all of this work? We hope that the next superintendent is someone who has a track record of working well with unions, of being a true partner with unions and with the employees in the school district. Continue to cultivate a united front with your unions so that both students and teachers get what they need in order to be as productive as they possibly can. Someone who is leading one of the most important city agencies needs to understand how to navigate the politics and work with the mayor. I think we've seen superintendents disappear and they serve at the behest of the mayor. That's just the reality. And we'll need the backing of the superintendent and the mayor. The next superintendent certainly can't do this alone. They'll need support from the mayor, from probably the state. I think whoever the next superintendent is needs to have the full support of the mayor. So the mayor has to 100%, 100% of the time back the superintendent. That the next superintendent have the full faith of the mayor and the school committee, and that they be given the freedom and flexibility to operate as they see fit. I think it's going to require a lot of patience on the part of elected and appointed leaders to not overreact to individual issues that come up in the public domain or in the media and to really focus on what's important and not get distracted by sort of the sensationalized stories that come up. They need to know how to be able to work with the school committee. And that will be true whether we have an appointed school committee, whether we have an elected school committee, the leader of the school district needs to be able to work within and among those important institutions. And I think I'd put that in the broad category of understanding politics. The other piece is family and community engagement good community engagement. Community engagement is critically important. If you're not listening to the community of their needs, who are you working for? There has to be a real ability to engage directly with stakeholders. Boston is a unique city in that it's small. And so it's small enough that you have the opportunity to deeply engage families and educators in co-creating the policy and work you want to do. And then I'd also say what's unique to Boston too is that we have a ton of additional and outside resources here. Between higher education, nonprofit organizations, et cetera. The next superintendent has to understand not how to leave those resources on the table. That there's tons of time and money and talent that's available to be leveraged within the district. And I think the next superintendent has to be able to figure out how to harness those resources and get those partners behind a plan and a vision. Having a superintendent who is a skilled manager who can take the large bureaucracy and, and help get the best out of it. Um, someone who can collaborate with the community, but also with school leaders and with teachers to help us work together, I think is a really strong asset. Connecting with the community in terms of what parents are looking for, for their students. They want a quality education where his or her child becomes independent and can pursue college, vocational education, career, and will be successful. One of the things that I've, I've really appreciated about our Boston Public Schools is its openness to partnering with its community-based organizations. 
And we've seen tremendous success around summer learning because of the partnership between the Boston Public Schools and Boston After School and Beyond and the hundreds of partners that participate in the Boston After School and Beyond Summer Learning Project. It's going to take a unified community-based effort, such as leveraging university partners, after-school partners, business leaders, faith-based leaders, mental health providers, neighborhood health centers, grassroots leaders. Arts and recreation is very important and building community with political leaders. I think it's really important that the district drive the direction of the community partnerships and not the community partners. I think all too often we have seen community partners be prioritized over rethinking how they actually map to the objectives of the district. For every school to say to community partners, this is the direction my school is going in and I want all my children get so I have 15% that is not getting there, and this is what they need. So I need you to help me to support this 15% to get to that next level, but not allow community group to dictate what they want to work on when they come into your school. I think the first order of business is creating stability in the schools. One of the biggest factors in a school success is the strength of its leadership. And Boston really needs to focus on recruiting and retaining great school leaders, then getting them all swimming in the same direction on the basic objectives of the district, create consistency and clear rationale on important items like resourcing and uh, responsibility division, and then get out of their way. I would focus on creating a really strong leadership team. They're going to have to build their team. Build a team. Build a team of leaders. Build a team of folks to help address the issues. It's really hiring well, making sure you have a team around you that can lead some of that work with you. We focus so much on the role of the superintendent and you know, there's no superhero that is going to get all of this work done and it has to be a strong leadership team. So I think making sure that whoever that next superintendent is knows how to pick a team, how to bring like talent and make sure that it's a mix of both people that are from Boston and people that are outside Boston. They shouldn't come in with a team because they don't know what the challenges are. They should do the assessment and then build their team around the talents and skills needed in order to address the challenges that they learn are in existence. While there have been successes under the outgoing superintendent, one of the greatest challenges is the instability in central office, the constant churn, the inability to put together a management team, a lack of focus, just kind of adding positions, right? And just seeing if that, maybe maybe that will, will improve things. I think, first of all, you need to have a strategic plan. It just seems like there's different people leading this and then They're here today, gone tomorrow. We need leadership around the build BPS. And we need also the stakeholders to be a part of the whole discussion. And I'm talking students, families, school leaders about, in particularly, high school redesign. It's a big organization, 10,000 employees, $1.3 billion budget. You know, we can't expect this superintendent to have kind of this, an next superintendent to have like a hero mythology that they can go and do all these things themselves. Someone who builds really good leadership teams, that has been shown to be effective, not just at the school level, but also the system level. I hope the next superintendent comes in and looks at autonomy as a tool for creating this portfolio of schools that families want to send their kids to. 
So as the principal of an autonomous school and, and someone who's worked with the network of autonomous schools in Boston for a long time, autonomy is so necessary to help schools innovate and improve. It's a necessary condition for school improvement. It's not an add-on. It's not like a gift that you get for, for success. It's tools that you need to empower your teachers and to build something that can move quickly and effectively. We need to set direction and clear path, but at the same time, allow school to figure it out on their own what is the best path for them. Because if we don't do that, if we only dictate, you have to do this, do it this way. Then in turn, the principal is going to do that to the teachers and the teacher is going to do that to the children. And that is not what we want. Right? You want everyone from teacher to student to learn to be critical thinkers. Well, they can only be critical thinkers if they have the tools and the space to experiment and learn and make mistakes. We're still recovering from COVID-19. We're still grappling with that pandemic. We're coming out of a pandemic, we're still in it. This question around kind of quality outcomes only got exacerbated by the pandemic. Marginalized students were kind of interrupted the most in their learning. I have kids who lost their parents or loved ones during the pandemic. They never really addressed to see how those kids are doing. We got families, we got uh, social emotional issues, we've got mental health issues. It's really due to, to COVID and the worldwide pandemic. And the reality is that we're probably not going to know the true impact of COVID-19 on students for another two to three years. So we've got to hunker down. We've got to ensure that we are taking the time to understand where the learning loss is, how deep the learning loss is for our students, so that we are able to put in place the supports needed to make up for that loss. And oftentimes you'll hear the district talk about the learning loss from the pandemic, but there was no significant learning loss for white students or Asian students. So pivoting to the pandemic for Black and Latinx students, students with disabilities, I believe is something that the district needs to move away from. We need to have a no excuses approach to educating all students. Your environment is huge, right? I mean, the whole purpose of Build BPS is to really focus on school buildings, ensuring students have the right facilities a master facilities plan that is enrollment-based and honest about the size of the district and where the resources need to go so that we are not slowly bleeding ourselves to death by a thousand paper cuts and that we really just get our system in line with where the students live and resource that appropriately. Every child deserves to be in a updated brand new building. The Commonwealth Charters are doing it. They are building those schools. They look great. So it's equity, right? Like, we're a high-performing school. We deserve a brand new building. Let's say we build one brand new top-to-bottom school every year. Well, in 120 years, we'll have a new school system, and that is too long. Our buildings are, I think, over 100 years old. Buildings from long before that, too. I mean, World War I, frankly, is not even that old for our buildings. We have 
a lot of old buildings not suitable for the education we want for our kids. We spend a lot of time dealing with, with patching up holes, ceilings, water leaks. I'm hoping that the new mayor really begins to invest in brand new school buildings. We have teachers who's still, they don't have the resources. Our buildings don't have the right ventilation system for them. And kids are not learning. They're not learning. It's important that the next superintendent be an educator, be someone who has been a, a, a teacher or a, a para or a guidance counselor or a social worker in public schools. That, that is their career. We need someone who's a strong educational leader, I believe, someone who has experience working in public schools, has experience working preferably in a large urban district like the Boston Public Schools with all of the complexities that come along with that. Because urban schools are different from smaller districts. I think we need to focus this time on somebody that's a Bostonian, that's somebody that knows the city. That the person's a Bostonian, plain and simply understands Boston, understands Boston politics, has connections in the community. Someone who can come in, hit the ground running, not have to do a listening tour, and really just say, we need to fix these things operationally, we need things to function. These are the things that we want to do moving forward. These are the partnerships we know work. These are, someone who has that knowledge, I think, would be able to leverage that and make some really strong gains and have a lot of support from the beginning of their superintendency. Bringing some familiarity and experience with Boston will allow someone to hit the ground running, and that's important. We can't spend a year um, you know, getting to know the lay of the land. I would really like to see somebody who has an immigrant experience. Again, we're talking about 31% of the students are ELL, 42% are Latina, and we have such a diverse student body. We have a lot of immigrant children that come to school with very different experiences or grew up in households with very different experience. For immigrant children, they absolutely need that language support, access to their native language, both for the parents and the student in order to thrive. Children go to school not just to learn a language, they go there to learn content. And how do you learn new content if you only teach them in a language they don't understand? So that would be a huge gap. So the superintendent have to understand that. Boston is a city of immigrants. One of our greatest assets, I think, is that we are a diverse community with lots of different cultures and languages and histories. And for having someone really understand and appreciate that and understand how to bring a diverse constituency along with them as they are moving us all forward, I think those are some of the skills and that's a big job. I would expect the next superintendent to have been a teacher, a principal or a system leader that has seen opportunity and achievement gaps narrow in very significant ways for marginalized populations. Can you point to something, a program or intervention you did that worked, that moved the needles for kids? That someone have a deep and demonstrated commitment to equity, to racial justice, to undoing uh, the pervasive uh, racism that, that is everywhere in, in our society and our schools are not immune from that. I think that Boston Public Schools is a two-track racialized system. 
And so you will get a different perspective of Boston Public Schools, depending on whom you speak with. And I think the patterns emerged pre-segregation and post-segregation. I think that Boston Public Schools is a district that has a lot of hope, but the challenge is BPS has never really had an in-depth conversation on race. I think it always starts with an unapologetic commitment to equity and understanding the access to high quality schools and how it's segregated in the city. If you cannot acknowledge or understand that there's not opportunity to access for all kids in the city, especially black and Latino students, especially students with disabilities, especially learners, then you don't, you, if you don't have a vision about how, why that is wrong and, and why we should fix it, that that's kind of a very clear you know, initial, you know, kind of requirement I would think for the role. Someone with special education experience would be ideal, but at a minimum, someone who will make special education a priority with, with the goal of inclusion done right, a commitment likewise to English learners. I think we really need to revisit the purpose of education, is to prepare students for life, for life after high school, to ensure that they graduate, to ensure that we have an aspirational and challenging curriculum that brings out their best thinking, to ensure that we acknowledge their gifts, their talents, their cultural ways, the funds of knowledge and the bodies of information that they bring to school that may be culturally different and prepare them for success. Our city has not really been focused on this idea of creating a quality seat for every child. We have spent the last 40 to 50 years focusing on changing the rules for people to have access to that scarce number of seats. And there's very little energy about the idea of how do we actually create more, not just access, but actually create more good seats that families want to choose. And instead, every couple of years, like clockwork, we talk about playing with the lottery and playing with the rules. And I think there's a kind of a lack of political will to announce the fact that we, we don't have enough quality seats and so we're going to prove it. It's a much easier political answer to say we're going to change the rules and see if we can make some more constituents happy. As far as some areas of improvement, I think one of the most major ones that is kind of looming over everyone right now is this idea of accountability. And what does real accountability look like? And how do we be accountable to our students, our families, and the communities we serve? And right now with the threat of receivership over the district, I think it'll be an important time to really consider what does honest accountability look like? You know, what does a well-performing school serving a greater proportion of English language learners, students with disabilities, what does that actually look like? Small example, our school is frequently cited as having pretty low graduation rate. Uh, four-year graduation rate, but we actually serve 17% of our population are students that we expect to be in school and receiving services until they're 22. So rethinking how our accountability system is designed uh, is, I think, a huge area of improvement for both greater accountability in the ways that matter to students and families, and also um, avoiding sort of the negative outcomes from accountability that's a bit specious. 
It's important for me in the way I think about city government to focus on the things that are working. I think there are some school communities, many school communities that families love and that students love. I think they've, they're nurturing places that are rigorous and help students grow. And they're not just the, the exam schools. I think they're all throughout the system in, in neighborhoods and different places. And I think they've built strong reputations and connections to families in the community. And that's good. And that, that's, a, that's a bedrock of the system. I think the work to bring healthy food to children has been really very impressive. I think having MassCore approved as the recommended scope and sequence for students in high school is a big step forward to having students prepared for whatever they'll do after high school. I think the district's new focus on equitable literacy across all grade levels is really important and a big step forward for a district that's been very agnostic about how literacy instruction happens. And finally, I think the focus on expanding nurses, social workers, and family engagement liaisons has been really important for kids and families who needed that partnership, who needed those connections before the pandemic, but since the pandemic, I think need them all the more. So when I think about what's going well, I think there have been some, some big wins. That said, I think the problem that has plagued the Boston Public Schools for a long time is that the whole is not greater than the sum of its parts. And what I mean by that is there's talent in the BPS. There's good ideas in the BPS. There are people who get out of bed in the morning to make Boston better for kids. And yet, I think the systems that we don't have inside of the Boston Public Schools, and I think some of our other challenges really mean that we're not being successful with and for all kids. I think that we should be putting it out there that we're looking for somebody to be here minimally five years so that we can get some momentum. What kind of a superintendent do we want? Do we want someone for three years, for five years, or for 20 years? I hope they invest in perhaps a five-year contract. Three years is not going to be enough time. And during that five years, we want them to be creating a succession plan so that when and if he or she leaves after five years, they know who's going to take over the school system and be able to do it and do it well. And when you're a short-term superintendent, you don't have the opportunity to build that succession. Yeah, so if there's a bit of a theme here, it's it's one about focus. And so, you know, superintendents can't do everything. And in the last couple superintendent search processes we've gone through in the city, we've created job descriptions that are pages long. And that creates, I think, unrealistic expectations about what this individual or this position can do. And I also think that it makes it hard to make a really good decision at the end because you haven't prioritized what you actually need or want. And so there's a very long list of things that we could put on this list. But if we're serious about having the right candidate at the right time, we have to prioritize. So the school committee, in my opinion, should focus in as much on the scope of the job, right-sizing it, as they should focus in on the individual they're choosing. It's everything unrelated to learning that occupies the office's time. And it may be time for us to acknowledge that that's not what's in the best interests of kids. We should not rush the process. We've got to make sure that we are bringing on board the right person, yes, for this time, but that it's someone who we believe, truly believe, has the potential to be here to put down the educational roots 
plant the seeds, put down the roots necessary to address the challenges that are facing our district. Thank you for listening to this Last Night at School Committee special episode. It was a pleasure for us to speak with so many dedicated community leaders, and we hope you enjoyed their insights as much as we did. Over the next six days, we'll be releasing additional conversations with each of the six superintendents who have led our school district over the past 16 years. Subscribe to Last Night at School Committee to listen to the full series. Tune in tomorrow for our conversation with former interim superintendent, Mike Contempasis. Have a great day.